Now, Martin Luther King, because he was, because he was the American Gandhi, he had to live that philosophy. Right. He had to suffer house bombings and cross burnings in his front yard and being shot at and being jailed as part of his lifestyle. Right. In order to make his point with his followers. Malcolm X was saying, stand up for yourself. Go about your life. Do what you need to do. I'm not asking you to get in the streets. I'm just saying, don't take no guff. You don't have to. Be a man. Be the man that you are. Why do I sh should I feel guilty because I'm protecting my family from enemies abroad and within? So MLK was also suggesting, hey, if you get arrested, get arrested. Yeah. So you, you've got a, you're setting a, a standard of, of uh, a responses to fill the jails. Yes. Of course, the white people took that on, on themselves too. Yeah, but now, but now he, again, that was a protest tactic. He wasn't, yeah. MLK wasn't saying go get arrested by yourself. Right. It was part of the group. It was part, he was saying, let's fill the jails. And eventually they can't arrest, they can't arrest everybody. That's how, this is how we get the law changed. When they suddenly realized that it's so unjust that nobody is abiding by it, they can't enforce it. And they will see the stupidity of the law. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. I'm Dr. Phil Nelson, and I want to welcome you to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a series of conversations that were recorded under authentic conditions after the death of George Floyd. Today's topic is heroes. I hope you enjoy. Um, now, just continuing on the 13th discussion, John Lewis, Elijah Cummings, you know, it's like... Yes. Those are the remnants of the civil rights of the era. Civil, yes. Of the era. Until Trump, I can't say that I knew their names. <laughs> what does that say? Nothing. It doesn't say anything. Okay. John Lewis and Elijah were, they were more of a Southeastern phenomenon. Had you heard the word Stennis? The senator? Yes. Yeah, but not good things. Right. I, I didn't mean it. I just try, I was just asking. Yeah. But but he was an official. He was a government official. Yes. Right. Uh, Stennis and who's the North Carolina uh, segregationist that was also a senator? Helm Jesse Helms. Oh God, yes. Right. These are the people who were protecting the system, who created the system. You know, but but you knew about them because they were government officials. Right. Right. John Lewis and Elijah were they they were 
uh, rebels, you know, why would you know about, even if you did know about, know their names, I guarantee you, you didn't think at the time that you learned about their names, you wouldn't think that they were good. Yeah, I guess if I had heard their names in the 60s or 70s, even though I was relatively young, they would have been on the wrong side of the ledger. That's right. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. MLK. Yes. I know you, I know you revere him now. Yes. But I want you to take yourself back then when Ed, when James Edgar Hoover was trying to discredit him actively and be honest and tell me what your real impression of Martin Luther King was. It was, it was very positive. I didn't hear about J. Edgar Hoover going after MLK until after he was dead. Okay. No. And I believe you. I believe you. Let me ask you this. How did you compare him to Malcolm X? I revered MLK. I questioned Malcolm X. Uh-huh. And see, I submit that you revered MLK because his message was more acceptable than Malcolm X. Correct. One was passive. Yes. And if Malcolm X had not been alive or known at that time, I would suggest that MLK might have been looked at a little differently by you. Probably, probably. Because see, you had a choice and you kind of voted for the non-violent route. Right. Because the focus of the violence was you. Yeah. Right? Instead of looking at it from Malcolm X's perspective. Because honestly, Malcolm X said nothing different Malcolm X said nothing different. All he said was, we have a right to defend ourselves. Yeah. And if you walk into my house, you do not have the right to challenge me just because you're in charge of the government. You don't have a right to come into my house without, without the same conditions that you apply to invading a white family's privacy. And I have the same right to carry a gun and use it to defend myself. I didn't have ill will towards Malcolm X or the Black Panthers, and I really admired Smith and Carlos at the 1968 Olympics for standing up with, for what they believed in, because I believe that standing up for what you believe in is the message. Yes, except, yes, except that the Black Power uh, symbol is more than just standing up for what I believe in, right? right? I mean, at least the propaganda. Essentially, the Black Power movement taught blacks that they were humans, that they were human beings. And as part of being a human being, they had the right to bear arms. They had the right to protect their families. They did not have to turn the other cheek. They could talk back to the man. They could talk back to the man. And if they were struck inappropriately, they had the right to defend themselves appropriately. Now, Dr. King would say, that doesn't get you anywhere. They got more guns than we got anyway. If they strike you inappropriately, then just lie down, survive. Eventually, their shame for hitting you will stop them from hitting you. First of all, Martin Luther King was professing a protest tactic. Malcolm X was professing a standard of living. Interesting. And we conflated the two. Now, Martin Luther King, because he, was, because he was the American Gandhi, he had to live that philosophy. Right. He had to suffer house bombings and cross burnings in his front yard and 
being shot at and being jailed as part of his lifestyle. Right. In order to make his point with his followers. Malcolm X was saying, stand up for yourself. Go about your life. Do what you need to do. I'm not asking you to get in the streets. I'm just saying, don't take no guff. You don't have to. Be a man. Be the man that you are. Why do I sh should I feel guilty because I'm protecting my family from enemies abroad and within? So MLK was also suggesting, hey, if you get arrested, get arrested. Yeah. So you, you've got a, you're setting a, a standard of, of uh, a responses to fill the jails. Yes. Of course, the white people took that on, on themselves too. Yeah, but now, but now he, again, that was a protest tactic. He wasn't, yeah. MLK wasn't saying go get arrested by yourself. Right, it was part of the group. It was, he was saying, let's fill the jails. And eventually they can't arrest, they can't arrest everybody. That's how, this is how we get the law changed. When they suddenly realize that it's so unjust that nobody is abiding by it, they can't enforce it. And they will see the stupidity of the law. My number one hero was my father. And he was not my hero until I became a man. Uh, because when I became a man, I began to see how heroic he was in navigating the slights that he had to navigate during the time of segregation and, and raise a family. And, and, and as a man, I was able to replay those pictures as a child that I saw him go through. The time, I think I told you the story about the um, uh, pulling on the side of the road to, for, to, to, to take a nap during a snowstorm because we had no place to stay. When I tell the story now, I understand the diminishment of a man by a highway patrol officer in front of his family. Then I only understood we were in trouble for some reason. And my father was needlessly ashamed by that. I didn't understand the sense of pride, the sense of, of, of hierarchy between son and father. Uh, and, and because of those crosses that he bore for me, he became, he's my number one hero, despite the imagery of a MLK or a or Megra Evers, but his heroes were also my heroes. Uh, and MLK and Megra Evers were heroes of his. And Megra Evers was a bigger hero because he was local. He was fighting for our right to vote. I went with my father three times to get registered to vote. So I, I know the struggle to vote very intimately and to understand that Megra Evers was fighting for me and then actually died as a result of that fight, was assassinated because of that fight. 
uh, makes him an indelible hero. And now that I talk about him, I realize I don't have a picture of him in my office. I need to get, I need, I need to correct that. Don't get me a picture. Don't give. I, I appreciate the picture you got me of Nelson Mandela, and I'm still trying to figure out how I'm gonna surprise you, surprise you back. But I will. Like I promise you. Uh, but you know, I remember the first time I met uh, Megra Evers back in the '60s. It was t- about two weeks before he died. I knew of him because my dad talked about him so much, but I'd never met him. Didn't even know what he looked like. And back then. You know, uh, uh, I didn't watch the news a lot. I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. I just heard my dad talking about him. But uh, he used to, every, about once a month, my dad would take us out to dinner. Now, in the segregated South, there weren't a lot of places we could go to dinner in Jackson, Mississippi. And going out to dinner back in the 60s was a rare event for a Black family. I mean, first of all, nobody cooked as well as my mother. So why would we go out? Uh, Of course, I didn't think that my mother might need some rest. And so my dad was doing this to help, you know, as a as reward to the family and to my mother. But the only place we could go in Jackson was a place called Stephen's Kitchen. And Stephen's Kitchen is was the black Morrison cafeteria, if you will, uh, at the time. It was segregated. It was in the segregated part of uh, downtown on Ferris Street. And we went there one summer uh, or a Sunday after church to eat dinner. And uh, we had been seated. We had just made our order. And all of a sudden we heard this commotion at the door, at the front door. And I looked and we looked up and uh, this man, this tall man who was a little taller than my father, and my father was six two, and he he walked in and and everybody was was patting him on the back and shaking his hand and said he couldn't get to his table because everybody was stopping him. As he approached our table to get to his, my dad said, "Phil, look, that's Megar Evers," and he said it with such adoration that, and I'm like, "Wow." I thought my dad was great and look, he's giving homage to this other man. So I'm like, oh, there's Megar Evers, you know? And it was that day that I learned how important he was because that it was that day my dad told me all the work he was doing for us later. Cause I said, who is he, you know? And then about two weeks later, I came in from playing outside and I was running through the living room and my dad was sitting in his chair and he was crying. I looked at him and I was like, what's going on? And then he he pointed to the TV. The camera was on him laying down in his driveway. He was covered and you could hear the uh, commentator or the reporter say that he was shot when he came out. And I remember following the trial very closely. Uh, I remember seeing sensing a change in my father uh, for a short period of time. He was so angry and so bitter. The next time I saw that kind of a change was I was uh, accosted uh, one night by a man and they caught the man. And um, and I saw that that vicious anger come up again. Anyway, uh, that was the night that Mega became my indelible, unassailable hero.
you know, it's interesting. We, the, the conversation was started by focusing on heroes. And to me, a hero is somebody that you really, you can't touch. They're, right. they're just, they're somebody you look up to in, in a fashion, but they're un, you can't, you're not going to sit down and have dinner with them most of the time, maybe Medgar Evers, but mentors and models, well, mentors, I believe are part of a conversation and, and models may or may not be, but you can have a role model that you never really meet. So when you were talking about your dad as a hero, I think your dad fits into the mentor model hero, but he's, he's approachable from that standpoint. See, I disagree. I disagree with your definition of can't touch. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you can have dinner with your hero. I think you can be approached. Let me go back to your definition of can't touch. Yeah. All right. My dad is a hero because I, I have now made him a mythical figure. He wasn't perfect, but he was always striving to be balanced and fair and righteous. He was a very uh, religious man. And so I aspire to be him. And from that perspective, I don't think I ever achieve it. And from that perspective, I can't touch him. The more I live um, between his death and now, he becomes more and more mystical and more and more perfect. Because just a week before he died, we had an argument because his father and son when I really stop to think about him as a human being, yeah, he was flawed. But when I think about what he was aspiring to be and the discussions and conversations that we had to, that helped mold me as a man and the experiences we went through together, that's what makes him my hero figure. By the way, I think you and I had the same father. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're I, a brother I, from another mother? Okay, I, I accept that. I didn't really see my dad for what he was until later on in his years. And we, we worked together for about 15 years before he died because we both sat on a foundation together that, uh, well, which now I'm the co-president of, but you know, we worked together on that. And I watched him lead uh, the foundation. I watched the admiration that the non-for-profits that we gifted had for him and, and the people that he met and the impact that he had in helping those who were less fortunate or organizations that had, you know, like the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League and others that he was invested in. So once I started to work with him and as he got older and I got more invested in the foundation, I had a much greater understanding of how he quietly went about being a mentor and a resource for many others, uh, many of whom I got to meet as he, um, after he died, just through emails and letters of of uh, compliments of, of the work that he did to help others. Even though he was running the foundation, he was always a resource for the non-for-profits that we gifted uh, to help them out uh, with advice. And, and I do a lot of what he does um, for people, students, et cetera. So I, 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 he died in um, three years ago. I think the same thing that you went through in terms of, of growing to understand your dad and, and, and admire him um, I would suggest the same thing. There were very few arguments that my dad and I had. And if we did, they were mostly about his new wife because it wasn't my mother. 
but I used to call him on my way up to LA when I was sitting in traffic and uh, just BS. And now my daughter, Brianna does that. Um, she just calls me out of the blue when she's going out for a walk or something. So uh, the admiration that I had for my dad, I really didn't, I don't think I ever acknowledged it to him in, in the fashion that I should have. And much of what he did became a very much of a model for me from that standpoint. So I, I think uh, this, this concept of heroes and mentors and models, in many cases, individuals have all three titles. And uh, in all cases, they are those people who have influenced you in some fashion to be a better person, if Absolutely. you choose the right ones. Absolutely. I, I, I remember the most significant, well, the most memorable argument that I had with my father was I think I had just graduated from vet school and I was probably beginning to feel my vim and vigor. And uh, we got into a discussion about politics. Uh, and it was one of the first time that I felt confident enough to have an opinion that might challenge my father's. And uh, I probably got a little excited in the discussion, but I enjoyed the debate. And I debated my father as if I was debating an opponent. And I think it was the first time he'd seen me in that type of a, of a mode. The next day we went hunting, quail hunting, and we were walking through the, through the forest. He was behind me and he said, son, I, I really enjoyed that discussion we had last night. And I said, oh yeah, me too, dad. And then he said, yeah, well, you, you know, you kind of got a little excited during that discussion. I said, well, you know, I, we were talking about something I really believed in. I just want, I was just expressing myself. He said, well, I thought so, but there were times when you kind of got a little out of hand and I just want to remind you about something. And then all of a sudden I heard the shotgun go. And then he said, I will always be your dad. And so if you ever get to the point where you think that you're going to win, you better let me win or don't go to sleep that night. And I just, and I, I kind of froze and I said, yes, sir. Okay, I, I get I get it, <laughs> you know. And then he laughed, ejected the cartridge and 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 we went on hunting, you know. And and it, it was truly a joke. He was it wasn't a threat or anything, but when he took it that far, I was just like, "Oh my god. <laughs> I must have done something to disrespect him last night." And he let it go. And then he used that moment to just let me know, "Check yourself sometimes when you're talking to your elders." I think you just gave us a great segue for another conversation. I think so too. But let's just bring the, the heroes home by saying that there are people out there that we could all look up to and admire that will help us become better people. And uh, whether they're black, white, or doesn't really matter. It's just there are people out there that we can all benefit from because uh, there are some great ideas and some thoughts that, that we're never going to find on our own. But with the right people around us, we could be we can be better people. Well, you know, one of the things we did not talk about were what heroes do you have? That'll be that's another conversation too. Heroes is that a, a female hero? Hero? A female, a, a female models, female heroes. I thought those were heroines, but that's a drug. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.